join me in a word of prayer as we begin. Lord, we give you thanks for your scriptures. Lord, we give you thanks for the voices of your prophets. May we continue to heed their words as we prepare for your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was thinking about the scriptures for this week and praying, I had this memory that popped into my head from from childhood. Um, And and it's actually, as I thought about it, it's one of the more vivid memories I have and early vivid memories from childhood. I know we've got some psychologists and folks like that in our congregation, so you can maybe tell me what this this memory means since I've been thinking about it, um, perhaps. Um, So this early memory for me, it has to do with the beach. Um, I grew up in Southern California, about 20 minutes from the beach, and I think, um, you know, this community is like Southern California in the sense that we have a beach and water culture that a lot of us are involved in, right? A lot of, we can't even imagine what life is like without the water in some ways. And, but at the same time, right, if you've ever lived in a part of the country where there's not an ocean 20, 40, an hour away or so, right, it's, it's a very different reality. And so for me, this memory was that we had some of my dad's family visiting from out of town. They lived in Nebraska, so very landlocked and things like that. And so what do they want to do when they're coming to visit Southern California? Well, they got to check off at least that they went to the beach, right? doesn't matter if it's the summer or the winter you, you want to go. I'm sure many of you, right, who have had relatives come visit for the holidays or things like that, right? You know the drill. You go down to the beach, you show them something. If you've got a boat, maybe you take them out on the water or something like that. And so we're at the beach, and I'm probably three or four, probably right around my daughter's age, and I've got this memory of, you know, doing the things that little kids do at the beach, right? I'm looking for the cool rocks and the seashells. I'm going in the water a little bit, but, you know, just up to my my knees or so. And part of this memory is remembering that we were trying to capture this moment for the out-of-towners, right? We took this, we wanted to take this amazing picture down by the water. And so we're, we're getting set, you know, the water's kind of lapping at our ankles and stuff, and all of a sudden, wham, I am face down in the sand. One of the adults manages to pull me up out of the water before I'm getting swept out to sea. And I was thinking about this And it was just, part of the memory, too, is after this, I remember being soaking wet and my parents having to take me to one of the shops nearby to completely replace my wardrobe. So I had all these souvenir clothes and things like that because we didn't plan on me getting soaking wet at the beach like that. Um, And it also made me think of another famous saying um, for those of you who live around the water. You might be familiar with this. Never turn your back on the ocean. Um, This phrase is attributed to a guy named Duke Kahanamoku, who was a Hawaiian, who was a a decorated Olympian swimmer. I think he won like five medals or something like that in a couple different Olympics. But that wasn't his biggest contribution and what he's remembered for. He's remembered as one of the pioneers who made surfing more mainstream in the turn of the 20th century. And... As I was thinking about this statement, right, like I understand the wisdom of don't turn your back on the ocean firsthand, right? The ocean, it's it's powerful, and, and, and if you don't give it the respect it's due, you better watch out or maybe not even watch out because you won't see it coming. But 
I also was thinking that even though I have this like very vivid memory from my childhood, I didn't learn to fear the ocean in the sense of not wanting to have anything to do with the ocean, right? Like, if that was me and I was so traumatized by that experience, I probably wouldn't be living here, right, by choice as an adult. Um, so I was thinking just about this reflection of acknowledging the power of the ocean, but also the respect that we have for such a big, beautiful, powerful body of water. And then I started thinking about Advent, and Advent being a season, right, where we be, where part of what we are thinking about thematically is watching, waiting, preparing, right? Watch out is kind of something you can say about some of our passages. You might even interpret the message of John the Baptist this morning, right, as kind of him saying, watch out, but, with, but in a very interesting kind of way that we're going to get into. And I think we're, there are like I mentioned, there's a few ways we can take this warning, right? We can take this warning, especially as it relates to something like the judgment of God. I think one direction you can take it is the sense of like existential dread or terror, right? Like, watch out, God's coming. For some people, that's a scary thing to think about. But what I want us to think to track this morning, and this is why, where it's helpful to have the whole witness of the scriptures is, yes, there are absolutely passages in scripture that talk about God's judgment, but that's not the whole of God's character, right? We see a lot of other facets of God's character in our scriptures this morning. It's balanced out by these other messages of the prophets of the good that happens when God draws near, right? When God's judgment comes, there are good things that actually might come of it. Because I think if we only focus on this negative aspect of God's judgment, then why don't we all just build doomsday bunkers in the middle of the woods and wait for the coming of the Lord, right? As we're thinking about this Advent season. Again, why would I ever go back to the beach and get knocked on, on my face by the ocean again if I was so scared of it? But I actually think what it means to be reflecting on these passages this morning, this idea of waiting and watching in our scriptures, is not that we'd be quaking in our boots in terror of God's judgment, but that we would actually learn how to be an Advent people and await the coming of God with wisdom and with proper preparation for what God's coming actually means. All right, so let's look at what John says. I'm going to read it again because it is a little jarring and shocking. He says, again, addressing the crowds, right? People were coming out to be baptized by him. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, right, jarring words, words that maybe might even shock us a little bit, right? Surely if, if John is addressing the crowd as a brood of vipers or sons of snakes, right, it's not a positive representation. So, so what is John doing with this, right? We hear about God's wrath to come. There's this very vivid idea, right, of 
trees being cut back and even thrown into the fire. Um, I think, right, the language is meant to wake us up. John's trying intentionally to paint a picture and to get us to pay attention, but I don't think we should focus so much on what John says. It's important what John says, but why did John say what he's trying to say? I think there's good news in the midst of what John's saying, but we have to pay attention to what he's saying, right? And here's what I want to submit the good news might be. It's this, it comes with this idea of repentance. John says, watch out, get ready. And he doesn't say that because there's not time to prepare, right? He doesn't say that because there's not time to repent. Precisely the opposite. He says, watch out. God is coming, so now there is time. God is giving us grace to turn around, to repent, to reorient our lives to who God is and the way that God has intended the world to actually be, right? That's the good news that's in this message. And there's some really practical implications of this, right? I think we can all feel, at least I felt like what the crowds were saying, right, is when you hear a message like that, then naturally you ask what the crowd asks, well, what then shall we do? And this was also really interesting to me. John is surprisingly practical in what he says to us, right? He says, if you've got two tunics, well, give one to someone who doesn't have it, right? If you've got a bunch of food, find someone who need, who's in need of food. Hey, tax collectors, right? And remember, if we remember what tax collectors were like, especially Jewish tax collectors, they kind of represented the empire, so to speak, right? They were kind of betraying the Jewish people, and they were often known for taking more than they needed in the taxing. And he says, hey, tax collectors, only collect what you're supposed to collect. Don't collect more than you're authorized to take. It's this interesting opportunity for us to right, wake up to what God is doing in the world. And part of what God is doing in the world is he's trying to put the world to rights. That's what this promise of the Messiah was all about. Um, I sh part of the reason I think I shared this story of me being knocked flat on my face um, to begin the sermon is I had a little bit of that reaction spiritually the first week of Advent this year. When we came in, right, we change our liturgy. Part of that liturgy, it's supposed to be a little bit of a stark thing, right? For the Advent season, at least in our church, this isn't like an Anglican thing. This is just how our church embodies it. We begin every service with, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And a lot of us associate that song with Christmas, right? But it's not one of those, like, happy-go-lucky, feel-good Christmas songs, at least in the beginning, right? How <laughs> does it begin, right? It's talking about this longing for God to come to be with us, this recognition that Israel is captive, that they need saving, this recognition that the oppressors are there, right? And they need to be free. And I think, at least for me, part of what was so striking is just thinking about the, the longer than the year that we've had. And I think I, what I realized, and that song pulled out of me, and part of this tension of being an Advent people who live in between the two comings of Jesus, is to be able to say that 
there are things in the world that just aren't right. And we long for Jesus to come and to fix it, to restore it, to heal it. And the amazing thing that God does is he says that I'm not just going to do this by myself, but I want to raise up an Advent people who can do precisely that. Right? All of us have, through this pandemic and the other things that are happening in the world, right, we've probably experienced some level of loss, maybe directly related to COVID, could be jobs, it could be someone we know and loved who might have died, it could be just some of the upheaval we're feeling in the world. And we want to say, God, there are so many things that are hard and they're broken, and Advent gives us the permission to say that, right? Advent doesn't let us just put on that veneer of, oh, it's Christmas, so, you know, I've got to put on the smiling face. Advent actually says we can say, along with Jesus and along with the prophets, and along with the people of Israel and the people of the church for hundreds and hundreds of years, come, Jesus. We want you to judge this world rightly. And we ourselves might need to repent of some of those things so that we can join what you are doing, how you are at work in our midst. I think, right again, this doesn't have to be bad news. This is where I think even God's judgment can be good news. But whether or not we receive it as good or bad news is maybe to some degree dependent on how we respond, right? If our hearts are hardened, if we're going to ignore the warnings out there, like how I am ignored the power of the ocean, right? God might jar us, wake us up to say there's a different way that things can be and should be. And so what I want us to wrestle with is How do we practically walk with God as an Advent people, right? John the Baptist gives us some ideas, and I think it's really interesting, right, that John is clearly saying that true repentance, this response to God in the midst of the first and second coming, what that looks like is responding to God, right, reorienting and changing our lives, turning around, going God's way. But there's also, right, a horizontal dimension to that. You can't respond to God without treating your neighbor and those around you justly, right? I think that's a really, really interesting thing that, that, that John is saying. Let's look at Zephaniah quickly. So Zephaniah, this is the end of the book, the passage we read. And up until this point, you get some of what you might say is your stereotypical kind of judgmenty sorts of passages that happen in the prophets, right? This pronouncement to say, turn, change your ways, do something different. But at the end, there's this really striking picture of what it looks like when God's judgment comes, right? It's not doom and gloom. It's actually a beautiful thing. Right? You have Israel, the nation of Israel, singing, praising God. Right? And what is it? Why is that the case? Verse 15 The Lord has taken away the judgments against you, He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. Right? Emmanuel, God with us, come, Lord Jesus. That's what we're after. 
And again, continuing, the Lord your God is in your midst, verse 17, a mighty one who will save. A lot of us can think about God, right, as the Savior in that sense. That's not hard maybe for us to completely wrap our mind around. But listen to this depiction of the God who is with us in our midst, who saves us. Listen to how he saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's a picture of what it looks like when God draws near. For some of us, right, we might have a hard time even thinking about what does it look like for God to rejoice in us to the point that he would sing over us and with us. When God comes to put things to rights, that's the picture we have on display. And that's the picture that the church as Advent people is charged to put back into the world, right? Continuing in verse 19, Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise. That's the picture of Advent that I'm holding on to. Even in the midst of a world where we can clearly see there aren't things that are right. But perhaps we, the church, Advent people, might be, a lot of ways imperfect, but we might be able to show a dim reflection of what this hoped-for kingdom might look like, right? Can we be a community that gathers and practices wisdom and says, how can we follow this sort of God? Do we look like God's coming kingdom or don't we? And maybe if we don't, right, that's where the message to repent comes and says, God, how do I follow you? How do I be just and loving and righteous like you are? And how can other people be invited into that and experience your love in this way where we feel this joy and this singing that the Lord has? Lastly, I want to end briefly with Philippians. In some ways, I could have just preached this whole sermon on Philippians, right? There's this, I, there's this thing where it says rejoice. This, these are are, these are some of Paul's more famous words in all of Scripture, right? Rejoice in the Lord, right? Don't be anxious, but bring things before the Lord in prayer. And the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, right? Does that sound familiar? It should, because that's the blessing we say at the end of every service. It's the pronouncement, right, that this is what it looks like when God is with us. That maybe all our problems aren't going to be magically erased, But God can stand with us in the gap, in the tension of the already that hasn't, that is to come. But here's what I think is really interesting, right? The last two verses. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, right? People of God, reflect the character of God in the world. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, right? This isn't like a pie-in-the-sky spirituality where we just think about and hope for the coming of God. No, God invites us to practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you, right? as you practice those very things. As we move into the season of Christmas and we navigate some of this tension, right? The world is not perfect. This is what we're truly calling for. 
the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.